I'm Steve Vibronix, and this is the Life in Dub podcast, talking to people who live their lives in dub and reggae. Episode number 20. Welcome to the 20th Life in Dub podcast. I hope everyone is doing well out there. Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. You can check all the previous episodes free online anytime at lifeindub.com or wherever you pick up your podcasts. If you want to get in touch, just email me, vibronics at gmail.com. I do enjoy hearing comments and suggestions for the show, so get in touch. And don't forget to like and share Life in Dub so we can get these awesome stories out to as many people as possible. This week, I want to tell you about my history. In fact, the track I've just re-released on Scoops, History Dub. As I work through re-releasing some Vibronics classics over the next few months, I'll try and tell the story of each track so you get a bit of perspective on my life in dub. For me, the most interesting thing about this track is it was very nearly never released. At the time we'd been releasing loads of tracks with vocalists on scoops, and I wanted to make some more raw sound system dub, so I sketched out a few ideas, and history dub was one of them. But I remember thinking it wasn't anything special. Maybe it sounded too similar to other dubs I'd built, so I nearly didn't release it. But in the end, I did stick it on the B-side with another track called Dub in the Valley on the A-side. But slowly, people started getting back to me about history dub. Iration Steppers were playing it a lot, and the records all sold out quickly. But then slowly, more people started to ask me about it. A few years later, Young Warrior told me it had become a real anthem on his sound, and the YouTube hits on a video that someone had uploaded of the track started to get more and more hits. But this all took years, it was a real slow builder. Slowly I fell in love with it too, and started to play it pretty much every session I played at, and I could see people knew the tune and really loved it. So when it became time to dig into the archive for this Gold Disc Classics reissue series I'm doing, History Dub was on top of the list which looking back is amazing considering I very nearly never released it. And usually I'm pretty good at choosing which tracks to release and get a sense of which tracks I should put out, but with History Dub, I really didn't have a clue. It's out now on a limited edition seven inch with a previously unreleased dub plate mix on the B side. You can get it at Bandcamp and I'll include the link in the show notes. It's also on all the digital platforms, Spotify and everything. This week, my guest is Sandra Cross. That's right, a woman on the show. It only took me 20 shows to finally get a female guest. Sandra is the voice of Lovers Rock, but she's also a lover of Roots Reggae, hence the tracks that we released together last year. In the interview, we learn about her early days growing up in Brixton in a big church-focused family, and about how she rebelled and immersed herself in the vibrant London sound system scene of the 70s and 80s. Sandra offers some real insight into what it was like to be a number one hit-making artist back in the day and about how she continues to write and record today. So enough of me, let's get on with the interview. Well, Sandra Cross, welcome to the Life in Dub podcast. Hi, hi Steve, thank you for having me on your show. Finally, a woman on the podcast, you know that you're the first female guest. Really? Oh my God. The dub world is so kind of like, so many men, especially in the sound system root scene. And it's like, I really wanted to have many female guests over the sort of the year I've been doing it. So I'm just glad finally that you're here on the podcast. Oh, it's, it's an honour. It's an honour. What, what I'm doing at the beginning of the podcast is I'm asking everyone the same question. And I'm asking them just to name a track that's been really like influential or something that really, you know, 
kind of opened your eyes or just a tune that's really like important to you so I was wondering if you've got an example of a, a tune like that um yeah I think a track that makes me that makes me feel puts me in different zones both spiritually and emotionally it's a well-known song have you seen her it's an R&B old-time R&B track and whenever I hear that track it just reminds me of my of my childhood and um and the struggles that my parents went through when they weren't struggling and they were calm and everything was great this song would, would be playing in the background nice. so you, so you you were born you were born in the UK then is that right well i grew up in brixton i was born in an area well in central brixton actually i was born born on a road called summerlayton road central brixton um it's a well known road everybody knows that that road um yeah and um yeah i was actually born on not in the house but in, that's where i was from summerlayton road in brixton nice and you said earlier on when we were mentioning your track you talked about like the struggles and stuff your parents went through and it's like um you know i, I don't know if you want to kind of tell people about sort of what it was like growing up and seeing what 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 was going on around you and your family and stuff yeah i mean from as far back as I can remember, for when from when my memory starts, because that's how we sort of um, register it. That's how I register it. I register it from when I start remembering things, and I just remember my because my parents um, there were seven boys and I was the only girl, and I was second to last youngest. So there were six boys above me. A lot me. of big brothers. Yeah, a lot of big brothers. Yeah, and. Um, I just remember my mother having to struggle to exist, basically, in terms of feeding us, clothing us, you know, and just basically looking after us. That's a lot of meals yes. and a lot of yeah. items of clothing and yeah. a lot of PE kits. Oh, yeah, like... oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of telling off because we were quite close in ages. So, you know, we were probably about a year apart, most of us. So it was like when one did something wrong, it sort of sort of reflected on the other and they probably do the same thing. And so it was a lot of talking, a lot of telling off and stuff like that. But um, even though there was struggle and 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 um pressure there were a lot of good times as well you know what i mean so i it it, it kind of balanced up in a way i think it kind of balanced up in a way you know yeah what 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 are, what are your early recollections of uh, of a brixton i remember brixton being a a place sort of it had a great community feel you know everybody looked out for each other you know um even though we were we, there were many different roads in the area that I grew up and um, on each road it, they had their, it seemed like they had their own community you know what I mean and they they all knew each other they knew you know, you know they knew about each other they knew the families and stuff like that so the, it was like a kind of like a a really good sort of community feeling where we, where most of the kids felt protective we could go out and play to all hours of the evening and we had no fear of being kidnapped or any molestation or anything like that that was out of it it was basically just general a general feeling of of joy and um and 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 being together really it's kind of different to especially how brixton's painted these days yeah i think brixton's unrecognizable nowadays i can't work it out really what's going on there definitely a culture change um, and it, sometimes it's confusing because I just know Brixton as how I knew it. So when, when I go to Brixton nowadays, it's like, well, 
where did that building come from or what does that mean and what what about like your your family was it was it like a musical family i mean was music around yeah you? well i remember my earliest memories were hearing um my father playing the piano and my mom, my mother singing um you know mainly in on the evening you know after a long hard day's work they would get together um and He'd play the piano and she'd sing and they'd have their little arguments because I remember him always saying, oh, her name was Veronica, but he called her Veron. And I remember her, him always saying, Veron, you're singing too 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 flat, you're singing too squeaky, you're singing too high, you know, come down. And she'd say, no, I'm not, you're not hearing properly, I'm singing the right key. And I remember those kind of tiffs they used to have around the, around the piano, you know. And I would just sit and watch them, you know. And I remember her trying her best to stay in key. And I also remember that there were times when she did kind of sing out of key, thinking back now. Because my mum's voice was a kind of like, she had a kind of fine, sh- sort of like a shrill. Her voice was kind of high and fine. And 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 it was easy to go off key um, for some reason. She just kind of floated off into a different key and then she'd come back sort of thing. So, yeah, I remember just listening to the tiffs around the piano, you know. So they were both musical then. So w- w- were you kind of brought into music, like, through the family? I mean, was yeah, it were you kind um, of encouraged in music? Encouraged, yeah, because, as I said, most of us, we all sat around this big brown piano most evenings. So um, my dad, he, he, he taught, well, he tried to teach all of us to play the piano, but he he tried to teach us from this piano tuition book. I, I just remember it being yellow, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's an old-time piano tuition book. And that book got quite a bit of battering because that was the only book in the house, and that's what we had to learn to play the piano from. Greenwoods, that's it. That was the name of the book, Greenwoods. You know, and it was yellow. Nice. And um, so... Each and every one of us were taught to play the piano, but with me, because I was so impatient when I was young, I didn't want to read music. I just played music from what I heard. I didn't want to sit and read something in front of me. So that's how I learned to play the piano. I just, so any note that I wanted to hear, I would play it because I remembered where it was. And I suppose you call that playing by ear. So how was it when you got you got your mum and dad, and you got yourself, and you got like seven brothers, and like and everyone singing together at some point? I mean, that's... yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it. We we um, they just used to get us into a group every Sunday. We'd sing um, at our local church. We were called the Cross Family Choir, and we would sing at our local church every Sunday. So during the week, we had to rehearse for that. Um, for that performance, you know, and it was all of us. So this is when you were a child? Yeah, I was probably around, I don't know, four, four, five kind of thing. And picking up, what, harmonies and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, my father used to assign harmonies to each of us. And I remember uh, I used to, I was the one that used to hold the harmonies. I could remember my harmonies quite, you know, I, I, I was very good at remembering my harmonies, whereas my, my, a couple of my other brothers, they struggled to find... They, they struggled to remember. So there was a lot of times when we had to stop and start, stop and start, stop and start because they couldn't remember their harmonies. But I just remember remembering my harmonies all the time, you know? Well, I think, you know, in, in reggae music, like the influence of the church and like singing in the church is such a strong thing. The Caribbean um, church back in the day, they, they were always, you know, known to be 
of a melodic nature. You remember them. If you're walking past a, a, a church in the Caribbean or even back in the day in the UK, you'd hear it's the singing that would that would catch your attention. It's the melodies of the singing, how they were, you know, how they were put together by harmonies. That's what a lot of people would remember from a Caribbean church, you know. And what, what about... Um... And what about music outside the church? I mean, when, when did you start hearing, I mean, I guess in these days, like reggae music was such a big thing. And when, when, when did you start hearing like reggae music? The first music I heard actually was reggae in the house. And because my parents, they used to go to church in Jamaica. When they came to the UK, they kind of took a break. So during that break, we were playing a lot. They were playing a lot of reggae, like a lot of the old stuff. So that's when I um, heard her, the first heard reggae, sort of like Young Gifted and Black Master Griffiths and Bob Andy kind of thing. Johnny Nash, you know, that's what was being played in the house. And then, but that was just for a short time because after that, then they went back to church, you know. And did anyone sort of notice that you had a particular talent when you were young, you know, that you were maybe like, you know, because you're in this musical family singing in the church and parents are musical but did people notice it's like all right yeah Sandra she can sing yeah I think as I said I think it was my talent of remembering harmonies and remembering parts of songs you know so I was able to hold a note and and I was told that my tuning was 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 very good my my hearing and my tuning was, was 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 very good you know and so as far as the church was concerned, that meant that I could sing. You know, once I could hold a note and hear a note, then that means that I could sing, basically. And as you got a bit older, then when did you start to sort of do stuff outside the church and start to sing? Because obviously people know you now as like a successful artist with, you know, dozens of albums and recordings and whatever. But, but when did you start to do stuff maybe outside of church, kind of, you know... Out in, out in the outside world. Yeah, that would have been way down the line when I reached, when I started going to secondary school. Um, primary school, no. So that would have been secondary school. When You know, when you, you start to mix, you start to have different types of friends and different um, um, so social circles. Um, and it, yeah, you kind of start to yeah, grow up. Yeah, you grow up. You? And so when I started to grow up, that's when I started to hear reggae music of that time, which was around the early, early 70s. You know, like I remember the, the um, Delroy Wilsons and the Junior Mervins and all that. And that's what I started hearing. Um, and even right up to Louisa Marx. I first heard a Louisa Marx track when I was about maybe 10, 11 and um yeah and i and i and and i found it quite fascinating you know um leading up from then continuing into secondary school going up to the probably the year group of around the, around the third year group that's when i started to become a bit more militant and sort of like more of a rebel when it came to reggae music and the church because my my parents tried to still keep us keep me in the church but by then i was already already sort of trans transforming myself into someone that loved not just reggae but just music on the whole but reggae seemed to be the easiest thing to get to because it was that was you know 
you, you walk down Brixton Road and every other corner was a record shop and they were pumping out reggae music. The fact that I could play, I realised I could play the music, I could mimic music by just listening to it and memorising it. That's when the songwriting came in. So every song that I wrote, I wrote it in a reggae style because that's what I was hearing. And you were writing stuff from, from really early then, from when you were young? I think that I started writing from around the age of... Mm, 13, 13, yeah, 13, 14, yeah. And so so when did it start, like, you know, get singing reggae and getting into reggae and whether that's recording or playing in a band or singing with a sound or whatever, when, when did you start to kind of get involved in things? Well, around that same age, around that time, around, yeah, around 13, 14, I used to be fascinated by sound systems. I, I knew about them, but I never really sort of, I never used to, I mean, you know, you, living in Brixton, you know, you're trying to go and sleep at night and you're hearing every night there seemed to be a blues dance and you can hear it from miles off. You know what I mean? You can hear the music and the systems pumping out. So basically I used to lay awake at night and listen to the music, you know, in the distance and hearing them play every night. And then you'd sort of get to know the music kind of music they'd play and then um because the friends that I had at the time they were kind of <laughs> they were not they didn't listen to to good advice that's a good way of putting it they were kind of like sneaky teenage rebels yeah rebels that's the way yeah right that's the right way to describe it yeah so they 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 we all planned we, we it was a big plan most times we would just plan to just sneak out at nights and 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 try to get into one of the blues you know and, most times we were, it was noticeable that we weren't supposed to be there. Sometimes the guys would just say, yeah, all right, all right. Most times they'd say, go home, back home to your mum or whatever, go home to your, you know. But there were times when we were able to actually stay there and that's how I experienced the sound system vibe because I just used to stand up and listen to 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 how they played back in in the time, you know what I mean? And then... Um, and how was it? I mean, it's the same thing I've, I've asked a lot of people um is because I got a fascination in all that because it, it, it's, it's like a thing that doesn't exist anymore. But what what was it like going to like a blues dance in in Brixton when when you were a kid back then? Well, the, the main, the most important thing was we had to learn how to hide. <laughs> well, you couldn't see anything in there because it was pitch black. But there was a certain way you got in and a certain way you sort of stayed in the background. I know it sounds really weird, but and and as girls, well, it was myself and another girl and two other boys. So, but. Back in that day, we we weren't exactly small. We were kind of tall for our ages, anyway. So that's how we got away. How we got away with it. So when we did get into the into whatever the, the blues dance was, it was usually some old shack downstairs, some old basement, or you know somewhere like that. Um, and um, the fascinating the fascinating thing about what we saw and heard was just the way they conducted the music for the night basically we didn't know anything about competition until later on down afterwards but at that time we didn't really we didn't know about the competition that there was actually a competition between the sound systems we just thought oh mm -hmm. one sound's playing in one room one sound's playing in the next room and they're just happily you know playing together but in unity but it wasn't that it was a it, it was a it was a it was a it was a, it was a competition it was a it was it was a competition who played the best dub and who got the latest track from Jamaica and that sort of thing you know and that was all going off at, at the blues dance yeah the blue, yeah yeah you know um right you know besides the smoke and all I don't know how we in, inhaled that and still was 
was able to get home. But yeah, it was just a it was just a vibe, innit? The vibe, everything worked together, everything came together, the the, the vibe of the night basically of a blues dance. Would you say that like you, you were hooked after that then? Yeah, I was hooked. I, I I slowly became hooked until the point where I was actually singing on the I began to sing on the sound system. So I'd go in and sing. I remember the songs that I used to sing, you know, um Don't Let It Go to Your Head, um um Black Harmony. That was the first song that I ever sung on a sound system. You know when it used to go into the dub section and and what what's the name of the sound? It that sound it was ah what was it? It was it was it, put you on the spot now. Yeah, it was I'm gonna tell you in a minute. That sound system, it was um Tom, Sir Tom. Sir Tom, that's it. Sir Tom. And this is a Brixton sound system. Brixton, yeah, ghetto Brixton sound system, yeah. And that was the first song I sung, Black Harmony, Don't Let It Go to Your Head. And then I started singing um Brown Sugar. I'm so proud and um um reggae music um you know that one our, our reggae music those were the theme songs those were my sound system theme songs you know and it everybody got used to me singing it so every week people would come and listen to me sing those songs in 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 the dance you know what I mean so you got like encouragement people were like yeah yeah Sandra's wicked yeah them, yeah give the mic to yeah, her yeah give the mic to her yeah that always had my time that always had my time you know and um, yeah, and then it just slowly started to branch out. I used to actually travel with them. They used to go to different venues and play. And and um, what what was it like moving moving with a sound to another part of London to go and play another sound? I mean, what 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 was that like? Yeah, it was it was it was messy. <laughs> That's a good way of describing it. <laughs> um, you know, you know, I knew that going into the back of the van and traveling with the boxes wobbling all over your head was the way to go. That was it. That's how you got to the next venue. So. You know, you just have to be lucky that nothing... In the, in the back of the truck yeah. with the sound everywhere. Yeah, you just have to be, hopefully, that nothing dropped on your head, basically. A couple of boxes dropped off many few times, but I was lucky not to be getting caught. But, um, yeah, um, yeah, that and that was the um, excitement of it all as well. It was just the excitement of 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 that of the whole thing, you know, travelling to different... And how did your sound do against these other sounds? Yeah, there were, well... As far as we knew, as far as we knew, we were the best. You know, you know, we were the best. You know, spoken like a like a true sound. <laughs> yeah, and then that's you know, yeah, basically, and then obviously, but then the dub um, plates started coming in. So when the dub plates started to come in, that's when it was um, confirmed that yes, the sound was it because no other sound had those dub plates when I sang on them. You know what I mean? So it was yeah, it became quite a competition. And as like you know, the first female guest on the podcast. I mean, what what was it like being a woman in in the sound system scene then? I mean, did you have any sort of perspective on it, or you know, any kind of thoughts about it? No, I just knew that I wanted to sing. So you know, some people may have thought differently. Some people may have thought, well, you're a girl. What are you doing in you know in that sort of man world? You know, dusty boxes and weed and and. But I didn't look at it that way. I just knew that I wanted to sing. And it seemed like that was the only way I could express myself on a microphone was on a sound system, you know. Um, I must admit that after a couple of years after that, um, when I really sort of um, um, got brave, you know, and said, well, right, I want to actually sing in front of an audience that can see me. 
and not an audience in a dark, smoky room. That's it, because it's one thing in a sound, isn't mm. it? It's that, like, you know, you need the confidence to sing, mm. but you can kind of be behind the preamp and the gear and the people, mm. and you're not you're not exposed like you are on stage. Mm, mm, mm. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I just wanted more of a challenge, you know, and that's when, um, you know, I suppose we moved to the next stage, which was the, the competition stage, where I actually went and performed on stage in front of a crowd. And is this like a talent show kind of Yeah, thing? that was a talent show. It was a talent show that I entered myself and a friend of mine. We decided to enter this local talent show in Lewisham. Because for people who, like, I get a lot of listeners from, you know, all over the place and y- younger people and whatever, and it's like the importance of the talent show in the kind of West Indian community is like, talent shows are a big thing, yeah? Mm, of course, yeah. Yeah, they were... They were. It was a big thing back in in the day, and and um, it it needed a well. You had to be really brave to actually go and perform on one. You know what I mean? And I don't know what took my head that day, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. You know, <laughs> and um, myself and a friend, we went on, and because she was so nervous, she stopped singing. She stood there, cold as ice, on stage. She wouldn't sing because she was so nervous. And I remember everyone everyone was shouting and saying, "Sandra, sing the song, sing the song." Because she wouldn't sing, so... And somehow I wasn't... Obviously, because of the sound system training, I was more experienced, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I just sung her part and my part, and, and you know, I remember everyone cheering. And, um, yeah, and um, then it was announced at the end of the evening that we had won. It was a great feeling, man. It was a, it was a great feeling, you know? Wow. Uh, what, what, did, what did you win? We won. Um, Do you remember what the prize was? Yeah, the prize was to actually record the song that was "I Adore You." Um, we actually re- the prize was to record the song with a local record producer by the name of Winston Edwards. He had the Studio Sixteen label, and um, so we just that was the prize. Record it, and it was recorded, and it went straight to number one. And this was. Did you write that song? Yeah, I wrote it. Yeah, I remember sitting down in in the piano room in in, in at home and writing the song. You know and the the girl that I entered with, my friend, she lived next door. So I remember when I wrote the song, I took it over to her and said, listen to this. What do you think of this tune? And she said, yeah, that's a good song. It's a good song. And that's what we decided to use to um to enter the contest. You know? Wow. So it's, that's quite a crazy journey. You've gone from, you know, rolling with a sound and whatever, then talent show, and, and then you record it, and then it goes to number one. I mean, mm. that's, that's, that's some... Crazy mission that is. Yeah, it was. How, how was that? What What was it like? At the time, I didn't think much of it. I mean, the fact that it was number one that was playing all the time, I was just too young to realise what was really happening. I just thought, well, that's great. Let's do the next song. You know what I mean? I didn't understand about the business side of it and I didn't understand that you're supposed to get money for it. You know, that sort of thing. So that was a sad thing about that. And were you hearing the song like, on the radio and in shops and stuff and would you would you hear it yeah. around when you were like going about your business yeah just playing everywhere in the cars wow. in the stores in parties and everything you know what i mean but i just still still didn't understand how how important that was as a career i just didn't understand it i just didn't you know was that the first time you'd been in the studio as well yes that was the first time yeah the first time in the studio yeah what, what was that like well it was myself and the, and the same girl and she, same friend, I should say, not girl. She was so nervous. She she couldn't even do the harmonies. So I found myself having to do everything. 
I was, you know, doing all the harmonies and doing all the songs. And then even though we still said, oh, yeah, she sung it. But, you know, obviously I had to be doing all, all the work that she couldn't do. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, but we recorded it. It was a great experience. It was, I remember it like it was yesterday. Well, you know, it was we, 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 great we experience. We'll talk about it soon, but, you know, we worked a lot together in the studio and it's like, it seems to be somewhere you seem quite comfortable. I feel blessed that I have that talent to, to do, because as I said, not a lot of people, not a lot of singers can do that. Mm -hmm. And I've realised that over the years, as I got maturer, I realised there's a lot of things that I do that a lot of people can't do. You know, so yeah, in the studio, yeah. It was and just, did, so, you know. did you start getting called to like perform? Because you know, you've got a number one hit, people are playing your tune, and you're in demand then, I guess. Yeah, um, the demand back at that time was just singing at local clubs. Like there was a club called Bouncing Ball in Peckham, and I remember us singing. But it, because of our age, it was hard to just be singing everywhere, obviously, because our parents were behind us and, you know, wouldn't allow us to go at certain places. So I just remember performing that song once at a venue, and that would have been The Bouncing Ball. I can't remember performing it anywhere else or any of the other songs that I did. I There was not... I can't remember... You know, like now... Well, as it, as the years went on, PAs began to, PAs began to be a th uh, the in thing where you mm -hmm. perform and all that. But when I started, it, it wasn't like that. Well, not for me, it wasn't anyway. I don't know about any any other artists, but because I was maybe because I was so young, you know, the age thing. I think that's 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 what that's what was a hurdle for me, you know. And how was it with like the family? Because obviously, you know, you're suddenly thrust into reggae stardom, but but you're you're a school age kid. I think for them, they were just confused. They didn't understand what was going. My parents, they were just really kind of confused because they were thinking, well, no, she's supposed to be at school studying, you know, to be a nurse, you know, that that's that's the plan, you know. Um, but I wasn't doing that. I was just, you know, I, I and and that's where the bit of the that that sort of rebellion thing came in as well, because I wanted to do the singing. They wanted me to remain in school and do my studies. So I think that the break off point came when me being as stubborn as I was mm -hmm. decided that well I'm going to do what I feel like doing. And then what kind of things started happening after? So you you recorded a song. Your first song goes to number one, and then I guess what you 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 do more recording and more releases and yeah, we did three more songs and and three those other three tracks they were also top five hits as well it's great you're talking about the chart because like charts were such a big thing back then weren't they and it's like people would know what was number one and whatever yeah, it's, exactly, it's not like now exactly. it's kind of totally different kind of world isn't it three top five hits that was a big thing you know what i mean that was a big thing back in the day so yeah and did, did people come knocking then people were looking to record you and because then you got to start negotiating the nightmare world that is the music industry which is as an adult it's not easy but when you're a kid it, it must be pretty tricky really well, if any negotiation was going on i didn't know about it all i knew was that i was just in the studio recording mm -hmm. you know what i mean um i didn't know anything about and as i said i just ignored the business side and just and just i just you know basked in the in the in the, in the glory of 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 success on the outside, but not knowing what was going on, going on behind it all, you know, behind the scenes, you know. And do, do you reckon that being a woman, like in it, you know, back in those days as well, even now, but especially back in those days, it's that 
kind of men controlling the music industry and kind of, oh, she doesn't need to know about that. I mean, was that kind of stuff going on, do you think? Yeah, I think it was more that, yeah, there's definitely that. That's like, when I look back, you know, it was definitely, you know, and the fact that we were young as well, I think that that's where the... That, um, we were taken advantage of because we were just school kids. And ha- had the kind of lovers rock scene really established itself by then, or because is that something that came a bit later? The lovers rock scene sort of came in right at that moment. Um, um, after I adore you and and um, yeah, just don't care and and can't let you go. Put it on after that. Um, the lovers rock was there sort of hanging on and then from what I remember suddenly it just stopped it just dipped and what I was told I had this discussion with somebody the other day actually and they explained it to me that what happened when when it just ceased when the lovers rock um UK lovers rock scene ceased it was because the soul thing came in the soul genre came in the UK soul genre that's when everybody started calling each other soul heads I remember that everyone was saying yeah I'm a soul head now I'm a soul head now so they kind of rejected the reggae the, the reggae that was going on at the time so reggae so I was told that the roots people then held their corner and the soul heads held their corner but there was no in between there was nothing else in between because Lovers Rock's quite a, such a unique thing, isn't it? It's like a British movement, and it's like it was such a big thing for a while. But you'd, you'd, you'd kind of never know it now. But before it dipped, it was, it was kind of, you know, simmering, and it dipped. When I say it dipped, it stopped. But then when it came back, that's when it was powerful. When it came back, and I was told that um, songs like Country Living brought it all back because before Country Living, okay, and before the dip, we had Carol Thompson and Janet Kaye mm-hmm. and, um, you know, Louisa Marks and they were holding the fort mm-hmm. for that time. Mm-hmm. But then when it dipped, it seemed like there was a, a pause, you know, and then it went, it went quiet and it was just roots and Jamaican music, Dennis Brown, um, because I, I, I still, I you know, I... I you know, I don't want to cross the lines, but I, I don't agree that The Lovers was co- continuing when the likes of Dennis Brown and, and Sugar Manic came on. I just think it was reggae music, Jamaican reggae music that came in at that time. It wasn't Lovers Rock. I've been told, no, they were Lovers Rock. And I just don't agree with it. I'm not, I just do not agree that 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 was Lovers Rock was still being sung during that dip. It was Jamaican reggae music that was there, it was featured. I believe that the Jamaican thing just came in at that point and held held the fort until um, the UK lovers came back and the UK lovers came back with Country Living because Country Living was the one that knocked off all the Jamaicans off the, off the off the off the charts. Country Living stayed its you know made its 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 mark for ten weeks in the charts. You know what I mean? And then and did you record that with my professor? My professor, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. So when did you meet up with Mad Professor? Because obviously, you know, one of the legends of like British reggae. Yeah, well, during the the, the pause, my brother um, was working with Mad Professor. He was doing roots music with Mad Professor at the time. And, um, it, you know, he introduced us and said, oh, you know, um, my sister's a singer and blah, blah. And we just got together and, and recorded some roots tracks. And we formed a group called the Wild Bunch myself and two other girls and then we just toured Europe because it was the roots that was the time that was the, that was the age for roots so we 
we did very well with, with, with the Roots project, you know. Must have been quite wild being the wild bunch when you were kids travelling in Europe back then. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good experience. It was, it was another learning experience for, for us, you know. We just, you know, went to places we never had been before and the market was opening up rapidly, you know. And then you did the country living track and then that was like, a, you say that was a, like a mega hit. Yeah, when Country Living was suggested, um, Neil said, let's do this track. And I thought, oh, well, great. We did it and we took off. Then again, that for me, that knocked off the, um, knocked me off the roots. When I say it knocked me off, it kind of, I came off the platform, the roots platform and stepped onto the Lover's Rock platform. You know what I mean? And and it just kicked off from there, really. And that that was like a super busy, successful period, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. One one of the busiest, you know. Because if you imagine having every time you put a song out, it went to number one. <laughs> wow. After a while, it, it began to feel like, oh, this is good. This has got to be a joke. You know what I mean? It began to feel <laughs> unreal after a while because I just couldn't, I couldn't understand how it was happening. But yeah, every it felt like every song that I was putting out after Country Living was just hitting, 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 hitting. And when you say it was like busy times, I mean, what 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 did busy look like then? What 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 were you doing? Well, busy was just performing, traveling around the country, performing, um, touring America, you know, um, just traveling around Japan. You know, we were we were called to to do tours in Japan like every year. You know what I mean? So um, it was it was just busy, busy. The lovers rock sort of genre is quite interesting, like, like I said before, because it's a kind of uniquely like British thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, I would say so. Some may not agree, you know what I mean. But I, I would say that yeah, lovers rock was a UK thing, you know. And I'll always stand by my ground, you know. what I mean, lovers rock for me was a UK thing, you know. And what was the whole? Because again, it's some something that like people will be interested to hear about is that, like. Because we're talking the like 80s now, aren't we? Mm, mm. And it's like the, the reggae scene in the 80s was, it was a big scene. And I sort of wondered, like, you know, what, what, what the reggae scene was like for you back then. And, you know, especially as a, you know, compared to now. It was just the scene to be in at the time. It was, you know, it just, we performed wonders with UK Lovers Rock at the time. You know, you didn't even have to be, you didn't even have to have a good voice. It was the productions that were kicking it. It was the productions that were kicking it. You know, a um, couple of us had good voices. The others, it didn't matter so long as the production was great, you know. Um, and it was a great era. It was a great time for UK Lovers Rock. Yeah, we were being played on radio stations, on legal stations, a couple of legal stations, you know what I mean? Um, we were getting a lot of support from the community, you know what I mean? It was it, it was a great time for UK Lovers Rock. And played on sound systems a lot as well. Well, so I've been told. I'm played in played in a party, played in the dance hall. I'm not sure about the dance hall, but played in a in a in a in a, in a um an event. Well I never used to go and rave really. Um too busy working. Yeah, too busy working, yeah. So I don't know, but I've been told, yeah, we heard your song in in this in this got this gig and whatever you know what I mean, so yeah. And to anyone like interested in like checking out this kind of period, I mean, what is, are there any songs? You know, especially your ones, you'd think, yeah, yeah, check out that one. And you know, was anything you're particularly proud of from that time? 
Because you recorded a lot of songs. That's what I was going to say. I've recorded so many, so many songs, and um, and they were all good songs. So to to pick out one or two would be difficult. It would be very difficult, you know, very difficult. I did I did quite a f- um, few um, quality albums with Ariwa, Mad Professor. We did a good few albums, great albums. You know, some of them were heard, some wasn't. But yeah, it would be very hard to to actually pick out, you know. Because they were all good stuff, all good stuff. It's funny, like, you talk about being a sound system girl when you were young, and then, obviously, when we met and started doing some work together, then that was the kind of first track that um, that, that, that we worked on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, it, it just, I, I think a lot of people probably didn't realise that that you'd, you'd had that kind of schooling when you were young, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it all came back when when as we started working together. I started remembering how it was, and it was it was, it was extraordinary because there were a lot of things that I'd forgotten about. And then um, when I started working on Vibe again, it all it just brought it all back, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's great to kind of um, like what what got me was like working with all those like harmonies and stuff as well. It's like that kind of you know I'd, I'd call it like classic like reggae style harmonies, which obviously, you know, originate in the church and what always different influences or whatever. But it's like being able to kind of nail all these harmonies was like an amazing thing to witness in the studio, definitely. Yeah. I I thought the idea was great about the fusion of harmonies and dub music. Cause usually on a dub track you don't really there's no sort of, you don't really hear those sort of complicated harmonies. So I thought the fusion was it was it was it was a great one was it was a great fusion and blended well with what was happening with the music you know what kind of things are you working on at the moment i know you've had like a few tracks here and there and some afrobeat stuff and like you still seem to be busy recording things yeah i mean during this climate this lockdown climate i've been busier than i've ever been for a good while funny enough um the 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 single free that came I mean, because I, I, I'm just, um, I'm just conducting a choir called the Sandra Cross Choir, and my brother and myself, we were working on an album, a gospel album, and free just came up like an idea. We thought we'd give the album a different feel, different mix. So we decided to have an Afrobeat mix, but we also decided to, to fuse Afrobeat with that sort of lovers rock vibe, and um, that's how free came about, and um, it free just. It, 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 I mean, just the other, well, a couple of days ago, I've just been told it's number one in Stevie J's charts, um, Stevie J-man's charts. And it reminded me of back in the day when I had all those number ones, you know what I mean? And it was just that feeling just came back. Um, Free is a great song. It was, it, was, it was a great idea and everybody just loves it. Got massive res- response from that song all over the world. The last that kind of response I haven't had since Country Living days, you know. So wow. it just felt it just brought back a lot of memories, you know. Yeah, you obviously, like touched the nerve somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, touched the nerve. That's a great way of, dis- of describing it, you know. Um, I always say, you know, in the industry, when an artist records many songs, you know, it's like throwing mud onto the wall and seeing it slide down. But one day, one clump of mud will stick. <laughs> one clump of mud it will stick you know that's the industry for us artists that's the only way to describe it so when it sticks you know it's a good feeling you know well, so we've been talking a while now so what what i do at the end of the um each interview is i i ask 
each guest like what they'd want written in. I, I call it the book of dub. So I'm writing everyone's name in it. So I write down Sandra Cross. And I was wondering what you'd kind of want associated with your name if I'm kind of writing it in this book. Have you got any ideas for that? Um, something like, I like this um, statement that says no force equal to a woman. There's no force equal to a woman who's determined. Nice. So I like that one. So I would go by that one. I'd like to see that written across my forehead. (laughs) (laughs) I say it's like the first female guest on the podcast. That's That's a great sentiment, definitely. And would you say anything sort of encouraging to women who want to get involved in reggae? Because it is, you know, there's, there's a lot of men in the reggae world, especially the roots and dub world. Well, I see, I see it from all different aspects. Um, um, for a woman um, who's trying to get into reggae, it's, it's quite kind of easy nowadays. I'm not sure if it's because of the internet or whatever, social media. Um, but there's a lot of op- more openings than, than it was back in the day. You just have to be patient and um, wait for the, as I said, wait for the clump of mud to stick. That could take years, that could take a day. But I think it's about patience and, and the willingness, willingness to, 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 to continue no matter what. Giving up isn't part of it. It, it, doesn't, it's not in, it doesn't come into it. Giving up doesn't come into it. So you have to be prepared to have the energy and the and the, the vision to just to just keep at it because music is now varied in so many ways and there's so many ways of getting into music so many so many ways you know nowadays you don't even need a record company you get what i'm saying so it's just how much you believe in yourself it's all about believing in yourself because the believing is 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 the engine the believing is the engine that pushes you and it's interesting you talk about like energy and stuff because like when we were recording all those songs together, it's like you definitely came with a lot of energy and a lot of writing and you seem to have still a lot of things to say and kind of, you know, just to still be very creative. Yeah, I think it's just, yeah, it is definitely still quite strong. It's definitely still there and it comes out in different forms and sizes, um, but it does come out. That's the, that's the fascinating thing about what I'm realising about myself and my talent and my career. You know, I write. I listen to music differently. I don't listen it to the conventional way. I, I listen to music and write to music totally different, almost the opposite to what you'd expect to hear. You know, and I think that's the beauty of 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 of, of, of my talent. That's the beauty of Sandra Cross. You know. Well, Sandra, thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's been a real treat. Thank you for having me, Steve. It's been a, it's been a, it's been an honour. Thanks again for joining me and Sandra for this 20th episode of the Life in Dub podcast. Please subscribe to Life in Dub wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you keep up to date with each new episode. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to tell people about it. Share it across all your social medias and all that kind of stuff. You'll find all the info you need and all the other shows at lifeindub.com. And I'll see you all again in two weeks for the next Life in Dub podcast. Life in Dub.